This is the St. Long Chinas's Baptism Podcast Channel. This is episode 48, entitled Consistency is the Key in the Spiritual Life and in the Secular Life. But first, a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Amen. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. 
In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. So, consistency is the foundation of truth. One of the reasons that the pre-Vatican II church can claim that they are objective truth as I have stated ad nauseum throughout this podcast because the things the, the, the core doctrines, the core dogmas have never changed. Certain things change with, um, with time and circumstances of different places, but the core doctrine and dogma does not change. It is consistent. The core dogma and doctrine is the same in 100 A.D., 1500 A.D., uh, 1800 A.D., 2000 A.D. It doesn't change, up until Vatican II, of course. And consistency, when I say consistency is the con cornerstone of truth, that is, to me, an undisputable fact. Now, I know that tons of digital ink has been spilled on disputing that particular fact. But if I tell you that the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you write seven... Uh, blog post of about 25,000 uh, words saying how I'm wrong, that does not make your position objectively true. Because even, even with natural reason, barring a miracle from God, everyone can expect the sun to rise and the sun to set tomorrow. If we're given that day. So, but a lot of people, and I, I'm not I'm not dogging no one out. I'm really not, because I I believe that there there's uh the powers that be want people to be this way that they want everything to be objective. Because if you're being, or I'm sorry, not objective, subjective. They want everything to be subjective. Because if you're, if you're laboring under delusion of situational ethics, now what's good for you is good for you, what's good for me, and you can't acknowledge um, an objective truth, and a lot of people get this twisted too. They think, well, objective truth is scientific. 
it doesn't have to be scientifically proven. I mean, it helps bolster your argument, but it doesn't need to be scientifically proven. Okay? Now, students of history know that that Napoleon died under suspicion, suspicious circumstances when he was exiled to the island of Elba. Most students of history that covered that time period have commented in one form or another that his, the circumstances of his death were um, suspicious. Okay? And this may have happened before like the 1970s or the 1980s. If it did, I didn't hear about it. But I remember back in the 1980s or the 1970s, this was in the newspaper, they, they uh, took Napoleon out of his tomb and they basically did an autopsy on him and apparently if you're poisoned by arsenic it goes to the hairs on you and so they found in his hairs that were remaining on his body arsenic so that bolsters the argument that he died under you know that he he definitely was murdered but it doesn't you know, that's, that's long after the fact and it helps bolster your argument, but it does not, um, it does not discredit the fact that he died under mysterious circumstances, which is attested to, not just by historians writing in his era, um, you know, biographers, you know, a lot of them has said, well, he died mysteriously or something like that. So, but, oh, and let me get back to what I'm talking about. So, the powers that be want us to be subjective. Now, I'm going to take a very blatant example, which a lot of people who I call normies want, don't want to look too deeply into. Objective fact, we know that Epstein was running a child prostitution organizations, or I'm sorry, organization on his island and that several high-level government officials, uh, kings, heads of state, politicians, celebrities, visited that island. And he kept a black book naming names, who visited and for how long and whatever. And that he was arrested. These are undeniable facts. 
These are undeniable facts. Now, the normies, when 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 they read these following or hear these following, oh, it's coincidence, it's coincidence. Number one, Epstein gets violently assaulted while he's in a federal facility and quote-unquote has to be segregated because he's going to commit suicide. Now bear in mind the fact that he's running a child prostitution service with a lot of high-ranking people on a notebook Just, just your cynicism, use your cynicism, would mean that that man wasn't going to see the inside of a courtroom the minute he, he came into federal custody. Okay, so, but, but we're expected to believe that while he was in federal custody, he got assaulted and he had to be moved into protective custody for his own safety. And while he was under this protective custody, the two guards who were supposed to be watching him were both new and both fell asleep at the same time. And that the cameras on that cell block, every single one of them went out at the same time. Now, maybe people don't have the brain cells to understand that a coincidence once is a coincidence. Two coincidental things in the same time is not a coincidence. I know, that's shocking. That's a conspiracy theory. That a man who was uh, trafficking in underage prostitutes who was visited by by rich and famous people and kept evidence of it just decides to hang himself in federal custody. Oh, and the coroner's report, the independent coroner's report that said that he did not die of hanging, he died of uh, being literally strangled not by a rope, by, but by, you know, whatever. Because when you're in protective custody, and I can speak on this, I was trained as a prison guard, the, 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 you're barely given anything at all because, you know, they don't want prisoners offing themselves in their custody because that brings in lawsuits, at least to the, on the state level. But we're talking federal Anybody who's ever dealt with the feds knows whatever the state law is, the feds are going to go one step above it. But we're expected to believe that this autopsy is bunk. That no, 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 he hung himself. And the reports are there that he had a paper sheet. So for those of you who don't have the critical thinking skills to get this just take a sheath a printer paper and just wind it up into a into a uh, 
paper, a paper rope, and, and see if you can strangle yourself with that. But see, once again, you know, I, I, I would be thrilled if more people could unironically see that, yeah, he was murdered in prison by interested parties with very deep reach. And normally under these circumstances, I'm saying in the past, it would have been easier to cover up this murder. But even with the evidence at hand that we have, we have a large segment of the population that believes, literally, that three coincidences can happen at the same time on the same night. Now, that is a particular delusion I wish I could say was rare, but it's pretty commonplace nowadays because we've been trained to be subjective, not objective. Situational ethics. The reason I'm, I, I brought up the Epstein thing is because if consistency... I'm gonna, I, I said the spiritual and the secular realms. I'm going to go to the secular first. When you are consistent, when you are consistent in, in whatever it is you do in life, that aspect of you, barring any special set of circumstances, doesn't change. Okay? And if they do... Let's just say you're a jogger and you jog, oh, I don't know, five miles a day. And you do this religiously every day. And then after about two years, you're, you're, uh, a family member gets ill and you have to go to the hospital to visit them. A consistent per person does not say, well, I've done this for two years. I'm done now. And give up. The consistent person goes back and continues their routine. Because routines were meant to be broken. They just, they just are. Another thing about consistency is consistency of message. I don't know how many bosses I've worked for. And there are quite a few. I've been working for over 25 years where they will they will hammer well you need to do this this and this and either later on down the line they'll say no 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 you're doing you know this is the new way of doing it. this is how we're going to do it now or or and this absolutely drives me nuts if you're new to a job the boss will say I want this this and this done and then, because you're new and you got a lot going on, you may forget something that's like, 
well, wait a minute, how do we, um, how do we do such and such? And this other person, they may be an under manager or a fellow employee with more experience and say, well, we do it this way. Well, wait a minute, I thought manager A said, we're, oh, no, 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 that's, that's just, you know, that's just what they do, you know. We do it like this. So, the reason I'm using that example is consistency of message. Mean what you say and say what you mean and follow through with it. That's another thing. We, you know, there's, um, I, I stated this in a previous episode. The reason why we live in such an unserious world is because there's no consequences for not taking things seriously. And, 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 and in other words, um, if Adolf Hitler writes a book stating that I hate Jews and I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm going to either deport them or whatever, but I don't want them in Germany. And then we invade Germany and find death camps and we act shocked. How are you going to act shocked? He told you ahead of time what he was going to do. Or if you're set of a contest and you run a particular set of contest podcast and Vatican II has been around for 60 years. The atrocities are well documented. We'll talk about spiritual ones. And some Vatican II member spouts a heresy and you tell your listeners, oh, you'll be shocked, you'll be shocked, you'll be shocked. Not if you, no. If you take... I, I guess this is particularly difficult for me because I'm a former Vatican II member and I, even though I haven't seen the liturgical dancers or any kind of, you know, really wild abuses in our churches, I, I've seen enough videos that, you know, that this does not surprise me. And given my life experience, um... I've seen a lot of things that to the uninitiated may be shocking, but if you understand human behavior, you're not really going to be shocked because until you understand that hate human beings without God are capable of the most horrendous atrocities possible, then you're not going to be surprised when somebody says something and follows through with it. You're just not. Now, in fairness to the, to, the, to the podcast I just obliquely mentioned, I think I understand why they're doing this. Um, but... I think that that's playing the enemy's game. You know, we all know that, well, those of us who understand the nature of Vatican II know that Vatican II is a fake church and nothing that they say or do. You know, actually, if I were going to be surprised, if I were going to be, I, I can't be shocked, but if I were going to be surprised, I would be surprised 
if 90% of the College of Cardinals went publicly on TV and did a video saying, yes, Vatican II is heretical, and we disavow Vatican II, and we want, you know, we want the said Vacantis to reconstitute the tradition of the true Catholic Church as it was prior to Vatican II. Now that would be surprising. You know, um, the fact that uh, quote-unquote Pope Francis says stupid things on a daily basis, no, that's not shocking. It's like, yeah, okay, so what else is new? But we are basically an unserious society and an unserious um, culture. And um, I'm going to, I'm not proud of this particular aspect of my life. But it did happen, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this to make a point, not to say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a hard case. I'm not. This is to make a point. I got in a situation before, um, long before I got into the Catholic, uh, true Catholicism, and I was staying with this chick, um, because I needed a place to stay and I didn't want to stay in the homeless shelter. Now she had a boyfriend, but he was in and out and they had just had a fight. Cause I asked her before, you know, before I went to stay with her, I'm like, look, you got a boyfriend? She's like, well, we just had a fight, you know, it'll probably last for a little while. Well, I was there for two days. And he shows up. Now, at the time, at the time, I was six foot and a half. Oh, I'm sorry, not six foot and a half. I was six foot and 230 pounds. Now, I was in my 40s and I wasn't in the same shape as I was, obviously, when I was 20. But the dude who got aggressive with me was all of 5'7 and couldn't have weighed more than 175 pounds, if that. And he was, you know, rightfully upset. I wasn't mad that, you know, he's like, get the heck out of my house, man. That's, you know, I said, okay, fine, I'll leave. Just let me grab my stuff and I'll go. And then he pushed me. At that time, I don't like being touched by anyone, male or female. And I was trying, I was trying to be empathetic because I knew, you know, he had a right to be mad. So I gave him warning. I said, dude, don't touch me. I'm going to leave. Let me leave, grab my stuff, but don't touch me. He did it again. And then, in a slightly sharper voice, I said, Dude, don't touch me. If you touch me one more time, I'm going to kill you. 
and he pushed me a third time. Whereupon, I knocked him down on his butt and I wailed on him. And I was, when I first started out, I just wanted to send my message across. So I made the beating as bad as I can make it. And the more I beat him, the angrier I got to the point where I started choking him because I was literally going to kill him on the spot. It just escalated. And his girlfriend said, you got to go, you got to go. That's when I let go. And that is also God's grace, by the way. I am not proud of this incident. I am not proud of it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to emphasize, I am not proud of this incident. I'm using this incident. If we were a serious society, and I warned that guy, do not touch me, let me grab my stuff and I will leave, he would have backed off, he would have stood by the front door, and he would have waited for me to get my stuff and go. Or, if he was a hothead, he would have started wailing on me the minute he saw me with his girlfriend. In which case, whatever happened would have happened. But we don't, we're, we're not serious. We're not, we don't take people, we don't take people at their word. You know, we don't take people, and then, and then when people actually carry out the, their word, we act shocked. We act surprised. But me, you know, keeping your word is part of consistency. Being consistent in your work is consistency. Now, we're human beings. So if you give 100% at work, and let's just say you had a three-day weekend and you partied that entire weekend and you come in on Tuesday, your effort on Tuesday is not going to be the same effort that you gave the prior Friday before you got off work. But consistency in effort and standards. Now, I'm just talking in the secular realm, right? In the spiritual realm, the same applies. You know, it says in, I think it's St. Luke's Gospel, Jesus told his followers, he said, um, or may, might have been St. Mark's Gospel, but he told his followers, he's like, or no, I'm sorry. He was giving a um, discourse. He was giving a he was giving a sermon to the Jews, and he was like, "What king, if he if war is declared, does not before the battle even starts look over his forces?" And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and find out if he can overcome his enemy. And if he can't, does not go to his adversary and try to sue for peace. And he also uh, used the... Uh, 
Oh man, there's there's a, a parable. Well, no, no, a metaphor. Metaphor is a better word. He used the metaphor of building a tower. If you start building a tower and you stop midway because you ran out of money or materials, then the people around you start laughing at you, making fun of you because you didn't follow through. You know, it, like I said, in the spiritual life and in the secular life, that the principle applies the same. But I would say in the spiritual life, starting off with sincere and with sincere intentions and and good intentions is the key before you can do anything else. Now, that does not mean that I've forgotten what I always say about God dealing with us as individuals, but as a general rule, it applies. Because if, if you're snorting crack, I'm sorry, cocaine, off of a stripper's backside, and you're getting drunk, and selling drugs at all hours. And then, uh, let's just say, you know a rival gang member is coming after you. And they're probably going to kill you. Um, you know, suddenly going to Jesus without really being sorry for what you've been doing. And saying, um, hey God, I'm sorry, can you help me out? Uh, in most cases, no, that's not going to fly. You have to be sincere and your intentions have to be um, good. You know, you, you can't turn to Jesus when you're about ready to die and you've led a, led a dissolute life and you don't want to die. Now, that's, that's the distinction I want to make. There's a difference between asking Jesus to save your life because you don't want to die. Because ultimately, you know, you don't even have enough faith to, to believe that there's a heaven or a hell. You just don't want to die. You want to prolong your life here on earth. And not wanting to die because you believe in hell and hell is real and you don't want to go there. There's a difference in that two mindsets. Now, if you don't get where I'm going with that, I don't know what to tell you. To me, it should be blatantly clear on a natural level. It should be blatantly clear. Um, but in the spiritual life, And this is aimed more at teachers, priests and prelates, or teachers, theologians. Denouncing Vatican II over the period of several years and then lightening your message up when it appears 
that some of the neo-traditionalists of the Vatican II sect, it appears to you that maybe they might be ripe for conversion, so you soften that message. That's not consistency. If you were if you were preaching fire and brimstone against Vatican II and Protestantism, let's just say in the two thousands, but now it appears that you you know you're 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 going to be able to make some some converts, but you're softening your message because you don't want to offend anybody. You won't be offensive. That's not consistency. Now, you can accuse me of any lack of charity, um, having the personality of a rattlesnake, uh, having the intellect of a monkey with the rhetorical skills of a monkey. I wouldn't argue any of that. But if anyone said that this podcast is not consistent in its message... I, I would literally debate you on that. Because all you have to do... You, you could take... Th- this this uh, podcast has around, I want to say, 110 episodes. So, you could take random episodes and the message has never changed. Now, I'll grant you, it hasn't been a year yet. But I'm not even sure that I've got a year to do this. I'm just saying my message hasn't changed and neither should yours. Um, I said this on a previous episode. You know, and this, this is not a criticism. This is just a statement of fact. I have read priests and in the particular case, I'm thinking of a monsignor, but priests as well, and bishops, in the 1800s, that were saying, I'll put it charitably, heirs. They're calling, they're, these, these are true Catholics, and they're calling Protestants brothers in Christ. But that's not the only thing. That's a lack of consistency. And that's one of the bad fruits of the, the Protestant revolt. Is because after the fallout of the Protestant revolt, there was a segment in the 1700s of Catholic bishops, true Catholic bishops, who thought that we needed to accommodate ourselves to this world when prior to the Protestant revolt, any any prelate or priest for that matter, or layman really, who had even suggested that idea would have been tossed in a deep dark hole and would have been stripped of their rank and their privileges for suggesting such a thing. Now, for the historical, Catholic historical autists out there, I do realize that the Renaissance did have popes 
that were using pagan Roman imagery and stuff for church uh, for church art. But once again, you know, Alexander VI, who was a Borgia Pope, he's the prime example. These popes, they might have been, what I suffer from, very carnal people. And I suffer from a great deal of carnality. But they were orthodox in beliefs. If one of their underlings had come to them and said, Hey, you know, um, Pope Alexander, we, we, you know, we should make accommodations. We should make accommodations with, with the world as it is. We should change the doctrines to make the Catholic Church more acceptable to the Renaissance man of the 1400s. We should do this. Um, given the fact that, you know, as, uh, as, as carnal as Alexander VI was, I, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that whoever suggested that idea, the best case scenario would be that he'd be stripped of his rank and privileges and exiled to a very remote part of Europe. Okay. The pro the Protestant revolt started this. And it's very easy for people in this time period. I I'll speak for myself. It's very easy for me to call these guys out and, you know, but there was no there was no uh, internet and, and text and stuff like that in those days. But, but, if you're, you know, like I said, the best I can charitably say to a Monsignor, who's basically a junior bishop, calling Protestants separated brethren the best charity I can give that statement is it was misguided charity toward them and I've already explained why I called it mis in a previous episode I explained why I called it misplaced charity because you don't call heretics and that's what they are and they are enemies you don't call them separated brethren you can, and here's where people get that twisted too. They think that you have to stoop to their level to get them to come over to your cause. No, you can be, you can nicely point out to the Protestants, you know, you don't have to be as abrasive and a-hole-ish as I am. You could charitably say, you know, you guys are in error. You're following false teaching. You shouldn't be doing this. But, but putting them on the same level as you, when you have the correct teachings and doctrines and dogmas, that's doing violence 
to Jesus Christ Church and indirectly to Jesus Christ himself because he founded that church. Now, I'm sure that, you know, they weren't purposely doing that, but I'm saying indirectly, you know, you may not be... And that, that's the thing, guys, is when we sin, if we're trying to be sincere and devout, we're not, you know, when we sin mortally or even, well, especially venally, but mortally, we're not premeditatively thinking, oh, I, I'm mad at God, I'm going to do this just to get back at Him or whatever. No, we're in the heat of the moment, we're overwhelmed by our passions and we commit the sin... But we're not intending on hurting Jesus, but in the heat of the moment, we're not thinking, uh, this might kind of hurt Jesus and his blessed mother because they are the ultimately pure beings. Um, not that the kingdom of heaven, the saints and all, are ultimately pure in their own right, but the essence of Jesus Christ and his blessed mother and God and the Holy Ghost, obviously. Purity is the essence of who they are. Now, there are other things thrown into that essence, but purity is... And when I say purity, uh, I remember the Irish soap commercial, 99.9% .9 pure. No, they, they're not even 100% pure. They're like a million percent pure. Anyway, this topic is on... Um, consistency. On a secular level. On a secular level, you want to be consistent because if for no other reason to practice consistency is so that people understand who know you when you're being consistent that, you know, to... They, they, they might re not respect you as a person, but they have to respect the fact that if you tell somebody, back off or I'll hit you, that you're going to mean what you say, that if they don't back off, they're going to get clocked. But... It doesn't have to even go to that extreme of a level. If you have a consistency of work habits, then your employers are going to know that you are consistent in the level, in your work excellence level. That, that they can rely upon you to do things at the same level for because we're not perfect for the majority of the time and that if you don't perform at that level on a certain day or whatever that you know something's wrong and part of being consistent is reliability now when I was younger I, I was not reliable out of morality I was reliable out of necessity because if I miss so much as one day of work 
Um, let's see. That was $40 that I wasn't going to see in my two-week paycheck. Now, to some of you that, oh, it's $40. That doesn't matter. When it does matter when you're making minimum wage. And that's how you're supporting yourself. And to some of you autists out there, well, you should get a different job. You should be, you know, looking for a better job. You should be looking to improve yourself. All I got to say to that, that's lack of charity. You know. And my suggestion to you who take that attitude is to pray to the Lord that you don't get judged by the same measure you just judge. Because when you're scraping and living and getting by on practically nothing, and people callously and stupidly suggest that you're not working hard enough or you're not trying hard enough, your, your pride that you're basically operating of is going to get knocked down to the dirt. But as I... Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that there were days that even though it was a $40 hit out of my paycheck at the end of the month, um, if I literally incapacitated myself with drinking the night before and I missed that day, I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but it was a rare occasion. It was, it was a very rare occasion. And the older I got, the only way I missed work. I, I would go in hungover, smelling like a brewery, even though I showered and brushed my teeth. But, um, I, somebody once joked to me, I think the only way you'd be kept from work is a stake through your heart. They were choking. But I had to be seriously, seriously sick. And this is at a time when I could literally afford to, if I, if I didn't want to work, I could just call my boss and say, oh, I'm sorry, I, uh, I, I'm not feeling well. I've got a bug. I, I don't, I'm not going to be able to make it in. I could have afforded to do that. But I realized a very important principle about consistency and dependability. And I've explained this on a previous episode. If you are, if you have a high level of work effort and a high standard of what you hold yourself to and you're, you're very reliable... Thank you, Lord Jesus, for reminding me of that. Um, I've, I've said this on a previous episode. At my last job, and I'm not talking about where I'm living at now, but when I lived in the major U.S. city, um, my managers absolutely could not stand me. And, but because I had a high level of work ethic and I was reliable... Now, don't get this twisted. I'm not saying that I came in and flipped the store manager the bird and told my supervisor you can go pound sand. I didn't do that. But 
I definitely wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't, um, uh, I don't know how to put it. Let's just say, oh, I said what was on my mind and basically I was willing to take the consequences. I literally was willing to take the consequences of what I said. But because I was reliable and I had a high standard, they put up with me. And that's just on a purely... That is... That was purely on a natural level that they were doing this. And when I was acting this way, my motives were not spiritually, spiritually motivated through morality or love of God. My motivation was... A, because I've had 20 years of experience that if you show up, you work hard, and you're reliable, your bosses are going to cut you a heck of a lot more slack than if you're not meeting these standards and you show up intermittently. You know, they're, they're going to cut you some slack. The reason I was thanking Lord Jesus and Mother Mary one of the issues I wanted to cover when I made this topic was I've noticed I don't know maybe it's because I spent the past 16 years in a, in a major large city and things are different but I've noticed in the new place where I'm at it's all about personalities it's not about your effort it's not about your work attitude. It's not about your willingness and your obedience to the boss. It's about personalities. Now, I've been here a little over a year, going on almost a year and a half, actually. I think it, it may be a year and a half by this point. That a lot of what I see in the businesses that I'm working for, it's all about personalities. And the town where I'm currently at, there, there, there is a certain level of town where you get the worst of both worlds. And the best way I can describe this is cities between 50,000 people and say... 200 to 300,000 people, they're small enough that they got a small town vibe to them and the attitudes of a small town, but they're large enough that the small town hospitality and understanding, they're, they're, they're too large for that. So they'll have you know, amongst the people who know each other, they'll, they'll act like a town of, oh, I don't know, 20,000 or 10,000. To each other, to those that they know. But they're large enough because obviously they're not a small town. They are a small city to the outsiders who they feel like are in, in 
infringing on their little clique, they'll treat you like dirt and, you know, they don't care. It's about personalities. And in my particular case, because this has been how I've always been, anybody who's listened to some of my episodes, I don't play the click game. I don't play the little click game. Especially at work. I don't do that. I go in. I do my job. With. To the best of my ability. I'm obedient to my bosses. As best as I can be. Now that part is the grace of God. Because before. I didn't even make that much effort. And. I just want to do. My allotted shift. Do the best that I can do. And give them my best. Because um, in traditional Catholic teachings prior to Vatican II. Basically your boss was a representative of God's kingdom. You know, he, he wasn't quite like your priest. But he was put over you by divine providence for a reason. So you were to respect your boss as you would respect Jesus. So that's the attitude I bring. But I'm not going to play the click game. I'm not interested in that. And um, I'm not expressing surprise or shock that people react negatively to this. I'm not expressing surprise or shock in that at all. Because well, as I stated, I didn't play the click game when I was totally pagan and hated God. I didn't play that game. And that's my consistency. Is that when I showed up to work, um, I was about doing my shift, doing it to the best of my ability. And even though, you know, I was a-hole enough that if uh, a manager was disrespectful or whatever, I'd let him know what I thought. Um, my work attitude was the same. It just, it was lacking the God element, the charity. But I never played the click game. And a lot of people found that off-putting. Now don't, don't misunderstand. I'm not, when I say that I didn't play the click game, I would talk to my coworkers because as funny as this is going to sound to long-time listeners, um, I figured I should get along with my coworkers. Not necessarily that I expected to party with them or be a part of their life, but that having a good relationship with the people that were on my shift was important in the sense that if you're trying to get through a shift, but because you're being a massive a-hole, that it doesn't help the smoothness of your work relationship if you've alienated your coworkers through bad behavior. And that's just, that's natural. That, that's, that's nothing spiritual to do with it at all. On a natural level, if you tee off your, uh, if you PO your, your coworkers off, 
or you know one or two of them your shifts are going to you know you're going to struggle to get through your shift because you're going to have the underlying hostility between each other all right so that was oh I, i'm going to i'm going to stop here and then i'm going to uh do a, a brief segment and finish this off. Be right back. Okay, so wrapping up on the thought that I I was getting close to the hour mark. Um, wrapping up on the thought that I'd left on about personalities. It's it's not and I'm gonna do the secular and the uh religious example of what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I do realize that places are like people. They vary, you know. Each, each place has its own indistinct flavor. But I've been living in this town now for almost a year and a half. And I do realize that places, places and businesses are their own individual organism. So it's going to depend on the people and the place. And what I'm talking about personalities um, where where your personality um, if you're like me and you're a um, I'm just going to put it bluntly a very uh, nasty personality I do realize that I'm not, I wasn't doing myself a favor. And this, you know, businesses, like I said, um, being more about the personality than the output, it's going to depend. It, it literally is going to depend on, um, you know, the, 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 the the co-workers the person's dealing with and their bosses. Um, the reason why I brought up the personalities, you know, being more important nowadays than the performance, there was, there's actually two reasons I'm doing this. Number one, I have gone I, I've, I've been in the particular town that I'm living at right now I use Indeed for job searches and there you have businesses because I've had to get on Indeed a couple of times in the year and a half and there are some places on Indeed that I haven't applied to 
that are begging for help now that were still begging for help a year ago, a year and a half. No. Um, there is a labor shortage. There is a literal labor shortage. Quite frankly, I don't understand, given the fact that our money is being inflated, and this is a purely natural observation, if it keeps going the way it is, we are going to be Weimar Germany within the next... Well, I, I, I'm not going to peg a time, but I'm going to say it's going to happen soon. To where the paper money is literally going to be worthless. So I don't understand, personally, this, this goes against my common sense, how we can have a labor shortage when the money is getting more and more worthless as we speak. But just on a natural level, I don't understand how businesses think that if they're literally short-staffed, how they, how they feel like they can be picky about the time... Don't misunderstand. When I say picky, I'm not talking about hiring some meth or crackhead to, to be your cashier or your kitchen help. I'm not talking about that. When I say picky, I'm talking about a person who's willing and able to do the job and they're going to bust their hump for you. But at the same time, because... You know, and by the way, I am literally talking about myself here. I literally, you know, I, I, I've always been a misfit. That's, that's a fact in my life, and I always will be. But at least in this, uh, in this aspect of my life now, I'm... I'm doing my dangest to be as friendly and as approachable to people as I can, but because people find me weird or off-putting, you have somebody, they're going to come in, they're going to do their shift, they're going to do their, their hardest, but in this town, because you find their personality distasteful, that even though you're having a labor shortage, and by the way, this isn't limited to where I'm at now, this is everywhere. Everywhere is having a labor shortage. That you can be particular about a person who's willing to come in and do the work, try to be nice, and try to do, you know, try to just do the work as best as they can and, you know, not cause any trouble for you. That with a labor shortage, ah, this guy's personality, you know, he rubs me the wrong way. I'm not, you know, I'm going to fire him. And by the way, I've done interviews, and the, the only reason why I do this, know this is because Indeed sends me uh, the, the, the places where I can apply to. I've done two interviews with two companies in this town 
And at the interview, I I was professional, but I was honest with them. But my honesty was not, you know, um, brutal honesty. And, you know, where I was being an a-hole, I was just saying, this is how I work. This, you know, I need, I need to know, you know, uh, I need to know what your standards are. I need to know that I'm not going to be at this job for two weeks and I'm going to get canned. Because that has happened to me at least two times since I've moved here. And they never... In one case, the guy told me, he said, we'll let you know. You know, we want to talk to our other interviewees. We'll let you know. They never got back to me. The other place at least had the decency not to say that. But both of these places, I've got the qualifications. I've been doing this crap for 25 years. I have the qualifications and the attitude... The right attitude and the right work ethic. But they didn't hire me. And when I applied to these, at least for one of the places, I applied like a month ago. And I interviewed with them. I'm currently in my new situation. And this, this place is still begging for help. But apparently, my personality is so off-putting that despite a labor shortage despite a labor shortage they don't want to give me the work because they find me off-putting and like I said I've always been a misfit the reason why I'm mentioning this is in the 90s Well, in the 80s and into the 90s, there was what was known as Burger Wars. And in the 90s, um, like I said, I had a crappy personality. Um, basically, whether, because I, you know, I, I I had actually been fired from jobs, but I never had to worry about finding a job with my experience. And so in order for me to lose a job, um, I either had to get fired or I, I literally could say, nope, this isn't worth the money they're paying me and quit. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being hyperbolic. Within a day or two, I could find a job. And this situation lasted until 2008 when we had the recession. 2008. So we're talking from 1992 to 2008. Um, I never had an issue getting a job. But 
you know, this, the situation in the 90s is similar to the one we have now, where they couldn't keep people because people, I don't know, for whatever reason, didn't want to work. So if they could get somebody with experience and the right work attitude, even if they were a, you know, a, a hostile misfit, if that person came in and did the job and wasn't, you know, uh, being a drama queen, they could keep their job for the most part. But that doesn't appear to be the case where I'm at now. Because they are literally, every place, and not that it matters, the, the, before I took this job that I'm working out now, I did... I want to say at least six interviews in the span of about, I want to say five days. Every manager that hired me, every manager told me, man, we need people. Nobody wants to work and blah, 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 blah. And yet, they, you know, I give them a resume. And I filled out the online application. And for these jobs, I put 25 years of service and retail experience. But for whatever reason, despite this labor shortage, because they find me, for whatever reason, distasteful, they don't want to hire me. That's when I'm talking about personality over over consistency. Now, I'm just going to say this to the randos who may, you know, even though we're over an hour now, who may listen to this. I'm just going to tell you, if you are a manager yourself, if you are the owner of a business, if you're running your store, or group of stores, or your business, on the personality principle, you're constantly going to be understaffed. I'm sorry, you're constantly going to be understaffed. And you're constantly, you're going to, you know, eventually, eventually you're going to either go out of business or you're going to be fired if you're a manager. Because, Retail in service is not about personalities. It's not. A smart manager or owner knows that if a person may personally rub them the wrong way, but if they go in there, do the job, and work hard, and they're consistent, as long as they're not punching, assaulting the customers and assaulting their co-workers or, you know, just being so rude and unfriendly that nobody literally wants to be around them, you're not going, you know, if, if, you're, if, you, if you're looking for your right personality type, you might find that person, but if they lack consistency, you ain't going to keep them. And for whatever reason, the reason we have a labor shortage is obviously 
even with most places starting out at at least 10 bucks an hour, most people feel that that's too low for their, you know. So, that's it as far as the secular regard goes. The, um, in the spiritual life, and this is aimed, this is going to be aimed squarely at Sedevacantis. Because they like to think of themselves as somehow they're different from everybody else, that they're not tainted with modernism, and blah, blah, blah. This particular fault is especially prevalent, not all, but among a certain segment of Sedevacantis. It's all about the personality. It's all about who my buddy is or who I like. This is how I can tell these people aren't serious about their spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in the New Testament in the book of Matthew says, how you treat the least of these, you treat me. And I do realize, I do realize, people are individuals. But, this is where the consistency is. If you're going out of your way to be charitable to a homeless person, but you're treating a set of accountants online who rubs you the long, wrong way like an a-hole, guess what? You could take that, that homeless man home, shower, shave him, give him a new set of clothing, and put him up in your house. If you're treating your fellow set of accountants like an a-hole because you don't like his personality, in God's eyes, what you just did for that homeless man don't count. It's called consistency. You treat the homeless person on the street the same consistent way that you would treat a co-worker an annoying co-worker at that, an annoying person online. You are consistent. You do not pay, play favorites. Now, I understand that there have been um, bishops, said of conscious bishops, who have pointed out, and not just said of conscious bishops, my own favorite, favorite spiritual leader, Father Bernard, has said, you know, God does not, you know, he's not equal. In, but guess what? We are not God. We are not the Blessed Virgin. Okay? We are not. The reason why the saints were the saints was they were consistent on how they treated people. If they were a monk or a nun, they treated the abbess the same way that they treated the lowliest porter or novice in their monastery or their convent the same way. God gets to be, God gets to play favorites. We don't. Okay? So if you're not, you know, and I, I, I do understand, it is literally, it is literally human nature to play favorites. It is. Well, guess what? 
we're not being, you know, if you're if you're if you're claiming to be a true Catholic, you're not called to human standards. You're called to God's. And God wants you to treat everybody equally, whether they're your friend or your enemy. And by the way, if you, if you want to challenge me on that, read the Sermon on the Mount, St. Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. He outlines what he expects of us. So, and by the way, this isn't, this isn't something that I'm ranting about off the top of my head. This is something that the saints, the doctors of the church, the fathers of the church have all taught throughout history. And by the way, even your precious uh, set of accountants, priests and bishops teach this. I've, you know, I don't know about you. I don't know what you're doing when they give these sermons. But I have listened to these sermons. And yes, they do teach this. And by the way, Father Bernard, in his series on the spiritual life, basically says the same thing. That basically, God can play favorites, but we, if we're trying to get to heaven, we don't get that option. We can't play favorites. Anyway, guys, I'm coming up on the hour and a half mark. I have to close out. Um, I apologize. I, I, when I, honestly, when I started this episode, I thought it was going to be under an hour. And it literally turned into longer than that. So, um, but if you stuck with me, and I don't care if you're religious or not, if you gave me almost an hour and a, uh, an hour and a half of your time, thank you, God bless you. And I don't care if you believe in God, God bless you. You gave me your time and you listened. Even if you think I'm a raving loony tune, thank you for listening. Um, I, I hope and I pray that you get something out of this. I really do. And even if you've written me off as, as a, uh, a loony tune, um, because I believe in God, I believe that he wor works in his own ways. And I pray that somehow or another he works through me in you. Because I truly believe I am giving God's message what he wants. Oh, and by the way, just to let people know, I'm a man of my word. If I get the indication that somehow or another that everything that I've been doing is completely and utterly wrong. I will stop this podcast, but I will devote an episode in apology for um, whatever it is I'm doing wrong. I, I own up to my mistakes. I know um, people claim to do that, but in, uh, in actuality, they don't, but I will. Anyhow, um, so if you gave me your time, I'm, uh, I appreciate it. I'm praying that you get something, hoping and praying you get something out of this. And I am praying for everybody, everybody in the world. But in particular, I'm praying for those who are in my life 
directly or indirectly. So if you just listen to one podcast and that's it, I consider that indirectly. If you visit my Pinterest page uh, once, I consider that indirectly. If you visit my Tumblr page indirectly, or I'm sorry, I'll once. I consider that indirectly. I'm praying for everyone directly and indirectly. You take that... By the way, you take everything that I tell you for what it's worth. Because in this day and age, apparently, taking a man at his word is uh, beyond the pale. Um... I would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. You take that for what it's worth. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.